So Federico, you have returned to the show, um, and I'm happy because we can finally get to talk about your feelings and experiences using the Oculus Rift. Oh man, I, I, I thought you were happy because I'm I'm still alive. Well, that too. I mean, that's always <laughs> that's always a good thing. Oh, thank you. Let me provide a little bit of of backstory for people. Mm-hmm. So when we were in uh, San Francisco, a group of us went out to Facebook, um, and we got the opportunity to try the Oculus Rift. Yes. Uh, but one of the key differences that we had, one of the, the best parts about this experience is we had access to the Oculus Rift Touch controllers. So mm-hmm. the the controllers that they're shipping later this year, I think, still, I think they've still been delayed again, um, which are basically allowing you to have your hands in the game, right? So movement, they have joysticks on them and buttons on them that are also capacitive. So mm-hmm. it can tell when you're clicking and when you're resting, which is a really nice touch. Um, so we got to try out that whole kit. And uh, if you are interested, there's an episode of Cortex, um, another show on Relay FM, uh, which I'll put in the show notes for this week, where me and CGP Grey, who was also uh, at this event, along with uh, Stephen Hackett as well, we got to try out this stuff and we spoke about it a lot. So I've kind of given my thoughts already about this, but obviously I haven't. We haven't really heard from you, Federico. So mm. I just wanted to know um, what did you think of the experience? What did you think of the games that we played? What did you think of the hardware? And also, like, how was it to have your first VR experience because you've never used a headset before? Yeah, well, um, I was kind of a VR skeptic, maybe, if only because I. I wasn't able to actually try a unit for myself. So I was looking at, you know, I was listening to you and I was looking at everybody's like reactions and articles and everyone was super excited about VR. And one of my initial concerns was that, uh, am I going to feel, you know, uh, sick when using VR? Am I going to feel disoriented? You know, am I going to be dizzy? And as soon as I, as I uh, put on the, 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 the Oculus, um, two things that I noticed. Uh, the first one is I felt completely comfortable uh, in terms of looking at looking around in first person, and I f- and I immediately within seconds I didn't feel any motion sickness. I didn't feel any disorientation. Uh, I was super comfortable, super into the game, and it felt real, like within seconds. Mm-hmm. And the second the second thing that I noticed is, well, the screen is a little low resolution. Uh, and if you, I noticed that if I was standing still, not moving my head around, I could see, you know, those chunky pixels on the screen. But it was no big deal after all, because you spend most of the time moving your, moving your head around, looking at things, and you don't, at that point, the, the, the big pixels, the low resolution is not really an issue. And, so you notice that as soon as you put on the, 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 the Oculus and you stand still, you look at the screen directly, you can see the pixels, especially if you're used to, you know, to retina displays, to super high resolution displays, you can see those pixels, especially because they're in front of your face. Uh, but after a while, as you play, uh, it's not really a problem. Yeah, I don't think that this is an issue either. No. Like, y- you do initially notice it, when you kind of first boot into the game as your brain is adjusting to what's around you. But it so quickly just becomes the world that you're in and the experience that you're having is so kind of real feeling yeah. that I don't think that it is an issue at all. You just forget about it. Yeah. So the first demo that we tried uh, was a sort of a game uh, demo called Bullet Train. Yeah. And it's a first-person shooter. And you, it begins, uh, you're on a train, and this train is going to stop by a station soon. And before the train stops, uh, you're sort of trained to this kind of tutorial that doesn't really feel like a tutorial. It's more of a, you're discovering your new self in the game. So you, you discover how you can move your hands with a touch controller. The, the, the very first thing that I, uh, that I did and that I saw you guys 
also also did is you hold up the controllers to look at your hands, sort of like you would do. I don't know. As soon as you open your eyes after after a long after a long sleep, you just look at your hands and be like, okay, yeah, these are my hands, <laughs> and you just start walking. And actually, it's not really walking. You you teleport from one point to another, which is uh, something that a lot of VR games are doing. Also on PlayStation, you don't really walk with the joystick. You just move from point A to point B to point C and so forth. Which I think is a problem, actually. I think movement in yeah. VR is an issue that needs to be addressed differently. And, and I yeah. don't know how you do it, but I don't think that, like, for so many games, like in that bullet train game, it's never really established why you're teleporting. And I know that this is kind of just like a small game and we got a demo, but I, I just don't see how that could work. Like every character in all video games has superpowers which means they can teleport, <laughs> right? Like I, I don't think that works at scale, um, but it is difficult because moving a joystick to go forward pulls you out of the real life experience, I think, a little bit. Yeah, it sort of breaks the metaphor of I'm standing on my feet and I'm using my head and I'm using my hands, but I'm also using my hands to walk. <laughs> it doesn't really make much sense. Uh, so we'll see how, how other games can, can solve this problem. Maybe it's no big deal. I don't know yet. So uh, as I was see, um, standing on this moving train, uh, I started picking up stuff and you were looking at the screen. I could, I could hear you uh, laugh behind me. Uh, so I was picking up food and then you start picking up guns and there's like, the first one is a pistol. So you pick it up and you, you can sort of shoot, you can, you can throw it around. Then you can pick up a rifle. And mm -hmm. one, one aspect that like stood out to me right away is you can use two hands with touch controllers. So you can hold the rifle, uh, you know, one by one hand using the trigger and the other hand, uh, what do you call that? The, the barrel of the I rifle? I guess I don't think it's the barrel. Uh, maybe say like like it's like rest. I don't. We don't know the terms because we're, yeah. we're really. So you people. can use two hands. Yeah, to steady the gun. Right, that's the idea. And that was amazing. So the train stops, and the game tells you there's going to be enemies soon. So the doors open, and there's a guy like an enemy, a soldier, uh, standing by the platform at the train station. And in that very moment, that I, I didn't feel like playing a game. I I started feeling like I was there. Yeah, I you felt kind of like started to lose control. Started freaking out a point, little, yeah. and <laughs> and uh, uh, because I went super violent, like I started shouting and and throwing things. Because I then discovered, besides shooting, you can also throw guns and you can also punch people in the face. This was when we all had to get out of the way. Yeah, because I, I was really agitated and yeah. I was like moving my, my arms around, flailing my arms around. Uh, and, but, but I felt like the sense of immersion of, of being there, like it was not a game. I was not like when I'm playing with my PlayStation, I'm, I wasn't looking at a monitor and there was a game happening on the TV. I was in the game. There was a guy standing in front of me and I needed to kill that guy. Which was a different, a different, very different experience, and then um, sort of everything be became a little confused because it was my first time. There were more enemies. I couldn't figure out uh, right away the the way that you you can slow down time and how you could also pick up bullets with your with your fingers and throw them back at yeah. people. That's my favorite. That was my favorite part of the game. That was awesome. I couldn't figure that one out, but it was super fun and. Like, I, I had another demo because you guys were kind enough to let me play again, Bullet Train. And the second time around, it went much, much better. I had a lot of fun uh, picking up the bullets in, in slow motion, throwing them back, and then, like, moving from spot to spot uh, in the train station. And eventually, like, there's a huge boss, like a flying robot coming at mm -hmm. you, and it, and it throws missiles, and you can pick up these rockets and throw them back as well. It was, it was super fun. And one of the highlights of Bullet Train wasn't necessarily the mechanics or the graphics, but it was the sense of presence, of being there, punching people, killing people. Uh, it, it was, and uh, this is something that I, that I told you, uh, that I told everyone. It didn't feel like, like I was playing a game. It felt like I was doing something, which is yeah. different than usual. Yeah, this is one of the key things about these types of experiences is the I was doing a thing. Mm -hmm. And I genuinely believe that a lot of this comes from 
the fact that you have the, the hand controllers, the touch controllers, right? That they allow you to feel like you're there because your yes. arm movements, your hand movements are affecting what's happening in the game. So this stuff got me to thinking um, because I know that on this show and we, I've heard, of, I got a bunch of feedback from people um, who listened to Cortex was saying that the HTC Vive was a better experience than the Oculus Rift, mm-hmm. which got me to thinking about the touch controllers. And I know that, Shahid, you had mentioned this before. You said that people were way more um, blown away by the Vive than they were the Rift. So I wonder, do or have Oculus ever demoed in like the in the games world the Rift with the touch controllers, or do they just do it with a Xbox controller? No, they have done it with the touch controllers. Okay. And uh, But to select audiences. So when I went to Oculus Connect 2 last year, they had an extremely long line for the touch controller demo because they'd just been discussing the launch at that event. And, you know, you, you just know that it's going to make an absolutely massive difference. Yeah. I never got to the front of the line. Um, so I never got to try them at, at that event. But, you know, the, the whole thing with VR, as you know, is it's not just a sense of, you don't just get the sense of presence from your visual sense being there, but it's really important to establish a sense of kinesthetic presence as well. Yes. And earlier you were talking, Federico, about, you know, not necessarily being able to move with your legs um, and, and having to, I guess, um, suggest that your legs are moving through something that's an abstraction, you know, moving mm-hmm. forward on, on a joypad. And that, of course, does break the spell slightly. But something like uh, your, your hands, are, I, I guess, are the most important tools we have in shaping our world. And even if you don't necessarily get your legs going in that world, if you've got at least got your hands going, it makes an enormous difference. So, yeah, I think Vive having their controllers available in demos made a difference. But another thing that made a difference was the more precise head tracking through right. their mm. uh, their laser tracking system, which gives a much more accurate positioning of mm. the head in, in 3D space. Right. The only downside of that is that's really just going to appeal mainly to people who've got the space to do that justice. You know, it works really well in a much more open environment. Yeah, that's why I'm kind of hesitant of the vibe a little bit is I don't think I have sufficient space to yeah. be walking around and moving around, which the Vive seems to want more. It seems like that Oculus, you could maybe be sitting down more and the Vive kind of seems like it wants you to be standing up more. And I don't know if I could fit what it requires, right, with like the, the laser room tracking sensing thing. But even even without tracking, when I was playing with the Oculus, and and I remember Mikey were looking at me, I was I didn't even if it didn't have an effect on the game, I was moving with my oh, legs. Yeah. I was trying to crouch. Yep. I was trying to avoid enemies. It didn't do anything because it, again, there there was no tracking, no motion tracking in that in that sense. But it it only felt natural to do that. Yeah. So I really don't know if I could if I would be able to play with the Oculus sitting down. Because it, uh, I felt like I needed to do that, even if in the game it, there was no there was no effect. So I don't know. Maybe maybe you need a little a little space because you will want to move, even yeah. if it doesn't necessarily change anything in, in the game. But that's my thinking. Is like even with the Oculus, you move a little bit, which I totally agree with. I did. I punched Steven in the leg at one point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that encouraging the movement would make it even worse for me. I mean, and again, I'm I'm more than happy to be proved wrong and I haven't got the, ex- the, the opportunity to try a Vive yet and I'm trying to get that because I want to be able to try it and see what the difference is. But all I know is I had an incredible experience with the Oculus. But going back to this hand stuff, because I think that's what we all seem to agree that everybody there, and it seems like everyone that's tried this stuff, is the... Uh, the hands are the important thing. Having something which works as your hands. And so I wondered, Shahid, do you have any thoughts on how the Move controllers will be able to deal with this, like for PSVR? Are they enough? Because they seem to be kind of like retrofit into feel- filling this role, whilst Oculus and uh, HTC slash Valve have built controllers for this purpose. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I was actually using the Move controllers in a technical 3D demo quite some time ago. Uh, I'm many, many years ago when the Move controllers were in prototype stage. So, uh, and I rem remember at the same time, you remember we had a, a chat with uh, Yoshida-san on this show where he talked about some of the earlier VR demos using Move. So they have been used in that context for quite some time. Yeah. Are they as good as uh, the Vive controllers or Touch? I don't think they're as modern, but are they uh, believable? Are they useful? Do the demos with Move controllers work well? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've... Um, I've used move controllers in a demo and they, they really are very good indeed. Would I rather use uh, touch controllers or use the Vive controllers? I think probably, yeah. I mean, the the more fidelity you give in any dimension in VR, the more powerful the sense of presence. Yeah, for sure. And, and I'm hoping, and I hope that it can do it, right? But my feeling is with the way that, the way that it felt for me is, it didn't really matter what it was that was in my hand because my brain just got used to what it was and I just dealt with it. So that's how I'm hoping that the move controls will be the same. It's just your brain just accepts the movement that you have and the control that you have and just goes along with it. Yeah, you want effectively a wand and a trigger. So you, yeah. know, you want to take an action and you want movement. That's the beginning. Beyond that, what you really want are your digits to individually be recognized and uh, to allow much more fine degree of control it's interesting i was reading about um richard dawkins recently and uh he suffered a stroke and after the stroke he did a fair amount of contemplation one of the things that he contemplated on was the the selection pressures that would be necessary in order to create uh, i guess the full function of the human hand and he listed the number of functions that a human hand is capable of. And it was just incredible. I had no idea. You try coming up with a tool as flexible as a human hand. We just don't appreciate how much the hand is capable of doing. We just take it for granted. And in VR, to get any sense of the hands being involved in play is a huge step forward. It's as big a step forward as head tracking, right? But then beyond that, if you start to get fine motor control, you know, the pincer movement of the thumb and the forefinger, the rotation of the wrist, uh, the, the grappling of the entire hand, um, and so on, and different amounts of pressure and so on, whether it be on the thumb or the pads, whatever, that is going to make another, uh, another leap mm. forward as well. And I, c I can imagine that all of the leading players in VR are working on that tech at the moment. I know that it sounds like a joke. But uh, do you think, Shahid, that maybe eventually we'll see the return of something like the Nintendo Power Glove in VR? Well, that minority report, all of this stuff is, is on the way. Hmm. You know, the, the more inputs you can put into VR, the more presence you're going to get. Everybody's working on this. And the interesting thing is that the, the, the tech is now getting so cheap you can have as many sensors as you want it's not going to be a problem costs are continuing to go down it's going to be easier to model something like um the complexity of a human hand because what what you're not doing is creating a dynamic um gear driven or machine driven system that already exists it's called a human hand what you're doing is sensing the different positions of all of the digits all yes. of the bones in hand, right? So that's a lot easier problem to solve than, for example, the sense of smell or the sense of taste. Right. These things are really hard to crack. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't see those two senses specifically uh, being available to consumers anytime soon. I mean, can, can you imagine playing something like Resident Evil with a sense of smell from zombies? Nothing. Please, no. But, but, but I feel like the combination of like haptic feedback uh, and you know, a glove-like device could maybe go a long way towards, uh, you know, sort of simulating the, the human hand in, in a VR experience. Because when I was playing with the touch controller, it does feel like you have hands, which is maybe good enough. So maybe right now we're at the good enough stage where you're holding these two little nunchuck, like Wii-like devices, and it does feel like you have control over your hands. But of course, you, you still cannot do everything that you that you're able to do with your hands and maybe maybe the, the pro on the other hand maybe the problem with the with the with the glove like design would be that 
you're not holding anything anymore. Because when you're holding the touch controller, even if it doesn't simulate the way that your fingers and the bones and the entire hand muscles work, you're holding an object, like an indistinctive object, piece of plastic. And that piece of plastic, because it can be anything, it can feel like a gun, it can feel like a, like a can, it can feel like a, like a, like a, I don't know, like a meal, or it can feel like you're holding someone else's hand. The, the moment that you wear a glove and, and you're not holding anything anymore, maybe that's a problem because what are you going to pick up from the floor? Yeah, the, I right? was going to say this, like, but you got there on your own. Like, the problem with a glove that has all those sensors in is there's nothing physical to hold on to. The, the exactly. thing that makes the, you real is that you have a controller in your hand that takes the place of the object that you're holding. So you can yeah. be like, oh, there is something physically in my hand. Um, I mean, but then you look at something like that, uh, PSVR gun-like mm-hmm. thing that came out during E3, um, and that could, you know, stuff like that could could take the place. So, like, do you remember when the the Wii came out and there were all those attachments that you could get to attach to the nunchuck? Yeah, just cheap bits of plastic, right? Yeah. I mean, yes. this is the thing. Once you have that glove, it doesn't really matter what you're holding anymore. The controller is the way it is because it has to provide the input. But if your hands are doing it, you could be holding anything. So that's the first step. You could have a whole bunch of attachments to pick up and drop. Another thing to think about is that in real life, okay, real life is not ex- as exciting as many video games, but in real life, most of the time you're not actually holding something, but you are using your hands in a very expressive way. So that would come to the fore a lot more, especially in terms of interaction with a virtual environment. Because once people get used to the idea of being in a virtual reality, they don't necessarily have to have feedback in the way that the real world gives them they'll start to get used to a new sense of reality or different types of reality in which physical feedback is not important but virtual feedback is and the other thing of course is that at some point haptics will come into play um there'll be uh the ability to shape your hand from almost an exoskeleton type of device i would imagine that would be the the end stage of the perfect controller for the hand Mm. So Federico, are you going to buy an Oculus Rift? See, that's the problem. Um, because when when we were in the in the room, you could tell that they had <laughs> this sort of supercomputer that costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And the problem right now for me is, I don't I don't really want to deal with the PC. Yeah, and I don't ever want to deal with Windows. And I'm not sure. Um, it's not that I'm that I not afford it but i just feel like it's not a good investment to buy that kind of pc with those kinds of specs to run the oculus the only the only thing that makes me think is so yesterday i pre-ordered finally a playstation vr oh you took your time yeah i took my time because i really didn't want to deal with amazon uh, because i have this friend this long time friend and sort of uh, indirect guest of virtual and remaster because i'm always mentioning this guy he has a video game store in viterbo and it's an old-fashioned video game shop really uh but that kind of shop where the latest releases are always on time sometimes even a few days earlier than you know the supposed uh, street date and this guy can get you anything any limited edition any accessory anything you want so I pre-ordered the PlayStation VR and I was like, look, I, I don't want to deal with Amazon. Uh, can you please get me one? So he tells me, well, you know, uh, the, the distribution system, uh, they don't want us to, to get more than two units, uh, but I'll make sure that I can get a little more of those. And, you know, uh, so we were talking about VR and, and he knew that I was in San Francisco. He asked me about the Oculus. And he's like, do you want to, do you want to, are you going to get a PC uh, to get an Oculus? And my reply was, see, I, I don't want to deal with the, with the PC, with the Windows ecosystem. So he's like, well, if you get a PC, you can, you, you can maybe take advantage of the Play Anywhere uh, Xbox uh, initiative and maybe, you know, uh, you can move into another ecosystem. So you have a PC for VR and you have also, you, you know, if you don't want to play some games on the PC, you can play them on the Xbox. And that was a good point. So I asked him, uh, are you, are you going to take, uh, are you seeing people asking you about the Xbox One S? And he tells me, um, 
you know, um, a few people have asked, but I'm telling them to just wait for the for the Scorpio next year because it's just going to be a better Xbox. So I, I was thinking about the, the whole PC, Oculus, and Xbox situation, and I feel like rather than getting a PC, there has to be some kind of Oculus deal with Microsoft. Yeah, I mean, that is the implication. That is right? the like implication. We were talking about this last week. They've not said it, but it seems like it's implied. So maybe my friend is right. Maybe I should just wait for next year, see whatever Scorpio is, see if there's a deal with Oculus, consider if Oculus is still the best VR system in town, and if it's really worth it, rather than getting a PC, maybe I should just get the the Xbox uh, Scorpio, whatever it's called, because I don't want to have a computer with Windows to manage in my my living room, honestly. So whilst that is an interesting idea. And whilst I am inclined to think that the deal that Microsoft have made with Facebook and Oculus, you know, to to work with them on some stuff as they have been, I do think it might be a mistake for Microsoft because then they are not developing their own hardware, which they should be doing. I would be very surprised if there wasn't some hardware development going on. But here's the thing. Microsoft isn't a hardware company. It's a software company. And if well, you they look do at, make the Xbox, though. Yeah, they do, but they're traditionally a software company. And the Xbox is, I, I guess, not as modern as some of their, their devices in terms of its heritage. But the only other thing they've done, really, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, is their Surface stuff. You know, it's like a reference device. And I think they see the Xbox as a reference device for for gaming, and I think they see the Surface as a reference device for the future of Windows. So in terms of expertise, what was the last thing? They bought in the technology for Kinect. Mm-hmm. Didn't work out so well. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Mike, but I don't believe there's a port for Kinect on the uh, on the S, is there? I don't think there is. I don't know. So, the, you know, the support for for their one piece of, I guess, proprietary and very different and unique and innovative hardware, um, that's not really been a success for them. So I just looked this up. You you have to buy an adapter to use the Connect, which is crazy. Yeah, so if they're developing it themselves, mm, you know, how long is that going to take? Because they're also talking about HoloLens, and HoloLens seems to be where they're putting... Uh, a lot of emphasis, and that's Microsoft as opposed to Xbox. So I don't know. I th- I think they're going to be in a wait and see mode, or maybe they're partnering up with someone. And right now, the most obvious partner is Facebook and Oculus. But it might be that they're talking to other hardware manufacturers as well uh, about a, a future software hardware partnership in VR. Don't know that they would necessarily be investing a ton of money right now in new VR hardware. I think they're okay just to do a wait and see, uh, to differentiate with HoloLens, to partner with Facebook Oculus, and maybe be working with uh, a hungry competitor who's about to get into VR in a big way, as acting more as an OEM, and you'll you'll see something like that at some point. And it wouldn't surprise me if that was time to release with Scorpio or at least announced with Scorpio's release. Yeah, we'll see. We all know that running helps you get fit, but we also know that running is kind of boring. Well, the Zombies Run virtual race makes running fun again. Wherever you are in the world, you can head out to run 5 or 10K with your headphones in. As you run, the Zombies Run app immerses you in a thrilling audio story, especially designed to match the distance you're running. You'll hear zombies close on your heels. You'll break into a vault that's vital to the survival of humanity. You'll run further and faster than you ever thought you could. Because with the Zombies Run Virtual Race, you're not just running around the park, you're running to save the world. Your entry gets you a thrilling audio adventure series that takes you from the start of your training right to the end of your race. It's a virtual race with real-life benefits. You'll also get a prospect technical running tee, a finisher's medal, and a bunch of other fantastic gear. All of this only costs $55, way cheaper and more fun than a gym membership. Visit zombiesvirtualrace.com and use the coupon code REMASTER to get $5 off your entry. 
whilst talking about all this VR stuff, uh, Nintendo had a shareholder meeting um, last week where they were going over some of their stuff from E3, some of the decisions that they've made. Um, And just leading on from our last discussion, a quote from Miyamoto, and again, it's always worth noting that all of these quotes are being translated. So, you know, you have to kind of take them with a grain of salt. Maybe the intention is not completely clear in what they're saying, but uh, Miyamoto was quoted to be saying, translated to be saying about VR, uh, long play sessions are an issue, Um, and that they want to be able to release something that can be played for long periods, carry value, and is affordable. We want parents to feel at ease. This is their kind of uh, feeling about VR at the moment, which to me at least, and and going along with some uh, other comments that uh, Reggie Fusami has said in the past, that the NX doesn't look like it's going to have any VR support at launch, um, which... You know, and I guess it's hard to, to, to kind of say, oh, this is a problem of Nintendo because in the console world, there's only one player that has something now or now-ish holiday season now. But I wonder what you guys think, and Federico, I'll ask you first, is is it a mistake for Nintendo to not be doing something like this? Would it be a mistake if they had nothing or had no plans? Well, I don't want to say that it, that it would be a mistake if the NX launches without VR, but I'm, I'm, I want to say it would be a mistake if internally the, the, they really think VR is not going to be worth it within two years, if they don't have a plan. So they, maybe the, the PR spin, if they, they go out in public and say, well, right now we don't think VR, uh, we don't think it's good enough for families, we don't think the price can go down enough, we don't think you can play for several hours. Right now I feel like, all right, if the NX launches next spring and it doesn't have VR support on day one, maybe that's not going to be a huge mistake because you know only PlayStation will have PlayStation VR this holiday season. And, and and I feel like it's going to be a long ramp up for VR, uh, for consumers. Uh, but if they don't have any kind of plan, if they don't have any kind of development, um, that would be a mistake. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the public version, the sort of the public message can be whatever you want right now within, you know, certain limitations. Uh, well, at least they're not saying we think VR is useless, which is a, which is a progress, I guess. Uh, but internally... They, they must have some kind of VR strategy, or at least they must be keeping an eye on, on what is going on. Well, here's the thing, though. I mean, a trend of Nintendo over the last nearly 10 years, if not more than 10 years, has been underpowered consoles when compared to their right. competitors. Can Nintendo build a console, Shahid, that would be powerful enough to support VR realistically, looking at their previous track record? Yeah, why not? What makes you say that, though? Like, I mean, why haven't they they kept up to pace in previous years, but now they would? Because the emphasis in previous generations was in tooling up to create proprietary hardware. Uh, So if you look at the earlier chipsets from earlier generations of consoles, they were remarkably customized. Look at PS2, for example. PS2 was hugely customized and difficult to program. Uh, Nintendo 64's graphics chip was highly customized and not as difficult to program, but you know, not not straightforward. They're all kind of kind of kinds of tricks that you had to get used to in order to get the best out of it because it was you know, had that very blurry look. So nowadays of course, people are much more used to getting stuff off the shelf and integrating it in interesting ways. And if you have a look at the, I mean, of course, there's custom engineering involved, but it's no accident that both Xbox One and PS4 seem to share the same DNA because they use very, very similar architectures. There are some key differences, and I think they were they were well played by either side uh, to, to varying degrees of success. But there's no reason why um, a company like Nintendo couldn't innovate and couldn't create something that was powerful enough for VR. The issue is... Could they do that at a reasonable price point? Because that's, I think that's yeah. the skill that both uh, Sony and Microsoft have, is that they were able to do this at 
and make appropriate compromises to get the cost right. So, so you've got those two entrants. Would a third be able to do it? I'm not entirely sure. I think it'd be quite a challenge. What about, I guess, their history with VR, right? Because I think of all the players, <laughs> Nintendo have done this kind of thing in the past, right? And could this be clouding their judgment? And obviously I'm referring to the Virtual Boy. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, oh there's, there's no doubt they have long memories, right? Um, you know, let, let's give credit to Nintendo. They are innovators. But the other thing you've got to bear in mind about Nintendo is they are essentially a toy company. So I think uh, Virtual Boy was quite a gamble. They took quite a risk in coming out with a kind of VR product as early as they did. 1995, it launched, I believe. You know, that's forever. <laughs> that's a long, long time ago. So they knew it wasn't necessarily going to be mass market. They made a lot of compromises. They kind of messed up their marketing a little bit, I think, around it. But there was no tracking. It was red. Uh, it launched with very few games. You know, it was so compromised. Commentators absolutely destroyed it because they said it fell between two stools and it did and i don't know if you ever tried it i remember trying it and thinking what is this you know well, why am i bothering you you had this display that was just standing there on the table and you had to kind of lock your head down into it and look into it and you saw this blurry red display that kind of made you sick you couldn't turn your head even though you wanted to so it was so flawed in so many respects and they didn't they didn't develop it as much as they needed to develop it Interestingly, it was actually their first 32-bit device. Not that that really helped uh, <laughs> an awful lot. Um, and so because of that, I think they'll look back and think, yeah, we tried VR, it didn't work. There's definitely going to be an element of that for those in Nintendo with, with long memories. And the other thing is, because they are a toy company uh, at heart, Mass market means family to them, always has done. They want to make family-friendly stuff. They'll let third parties make stuff that isn't necessarily family-friendly. But they themselves, I think, will want to focus on family-friendly, wide appeal. And that means trying to innovate in a way that doesn't include what, for now, is not a completely developed technology in VR. VR is still not mass market. It's not going to be mass market this year. It's definitely a hardcore thing. It's very exciting. I think there are a lot of commentators, myself included, who think it's going to be a key part of the future of video games and at some point will become the dominant form. But for now, it's not mass market. And Nintendo don't play those games anymore, I don't think. I think everything they've done over the last 10 years, yeah, low power was part of it, but so was cost efficiency. So was the price of the device. So was the ability to reach a large segment of the market. And I don't think they'll be out to make an expensive device. They'll be looking to make a low-cost device. And so at this point, I think that precludes VR. What is concerning for me is the comment on DNX as being focused around a specific idea. And this is the reason why Nintendo doesn't want to reveal what the console is going to be yet because they're worried that uh, imitators, as they call them, uh, would copy them if they release the information too early. So the idea of a focused around a specific feature, it's concerning to me because I don't want to see another console that is based on a, on, a, on a single feature that precludes them in the long run from adding things to the platform from adding stuff like VR or maybe multiplayer in a different way, you know, any other kind of feature. Uh, I don't want to see make, Nintendo make, making this mistake again. Um, I mean, just look at the Wii U, focused entirely on the gamepad, which started as a sort of, you know, they, they wanted you to believe it was this magical, crazy, awesome feature, but eventually with time it became a liability because nobody was taking advantage of it. It wasn't really as good as a tablet, as an iPad, and eventually developers were more fighting against the gamepad rather than taking advantage of it. And if the NX is again focused around a specific idea, uh, I don't want to see Nintendo making this mistake again. They, they, they build the console around this concept, 
and in two years' time, it's going to be too late to support VR or to support whatever other trend comes out in the industry, and they're not going to be relevant anymore again. So that's my concern with Nintendo's comments today. Not necessarily that... I don't see a problem in the fact that they're, they're saying, well, we think uh, VR has to work for families and we think it has to be affordable. That's okay. But the comment uh, on we build the console around the specific feature and we don't want to tell you yet, that that worries me to to a degree. I mean, the, and the, the other thing that they were talking about here was uh, that you know, that they were worried about imitators, which is why they right. didn't show anything at E3. Really? Um, <laughs> that is a pe- kind of a peculiar, almost like brush-off statement, you know, because I assume that this question came from a, a you know, a, a question from the people in the room saying, why were you not there? And they're like, oh, we don't want anyone copying us. Yeah, so I, I need to ask Shade, is it really possible in in, in, in your view that were Nintendo to show off the NX in June at E3, that either Sony or Microsoft or whatever is able to copy whatever crazy must have, this is the future kind of feature DNX has and ship it before Nintendo does? It really does depend on whether um, Miyamoto-san said that the console was focused around a feature or an idea. If it's an idea, then ideas are really easy to copy. If mm. it's a feature, features are much harder to copy if they're in custom silicon. The thing is, because they're going for a low price point, I would imagine, right, mass market, um, family appeal and so on, then it would be easier to copy because they probably won't be using, and I could be completely off base here, maybe they are tooling up uh, some high-cost silicon operation, but I don't think so. If it's based on existing technology, then of course it'd be easy to copy. It's only difficult to copy if you're making custom silicon. So I don't think it's a feature necessarily. I think it's more likely to be an idea, and ideas are really easy to copy. That's that's a good comment, because I was exchanging the, the, the words idea and feature, but what you say, ideas can be copied easily, features especially if it's custom silicon they're more difficult to copy that that's a really good that's a really great point so uh, you know in theory if the idea was more of a strategy more of a concept uh you know and and if sony and microsoft looked at the at this idea and said well yeah actually nintendo is right we should do this come the you know the the holiday season or you know next spring they they could be able in theory to to copy the idea see i didn't i didn't think about that so the thing is, though, I mean, if you base everything that we can assume and the little things that we seem to kind of know, it would appear that what Nintendo are going to be building is the home console with the thing you can take on the road, right? Like, I think people are pretty much circling around this idea, no matter what comes to pass. But let's just, for the moment, work on the assumption that this is what they're going to have, right? Like a device which you play like a DS and then you bring it home and you plug it in and you're in a home console. Are we all in agreement that that is probably what they're building? Yeah. Microsoft and Sony don't want to build that product. And if Nintendo can't see that, I think that is another concern. I do not see a world in which Sony and Microsoft are building a half home, half portable console. Shahid, do you agree with that? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't doesn't make any sense from uh, from any angle that you look at it. Uh, I mean, is there any point in me going into the detail? There no. really isn't, is there? No, I just wanted your agreement because if you <laughs> that was <laughs> all I wanted. There. I did just want to mention one thing whilst we're talking about this, and and this bridges into our next topic because Federico's oh, going yes. to wax lyrical about Zelda. Yeah, I watched this video that you sent me. Um, a link will be in the show notes. It's an IGN video for the 77 little things in Zelda that will b- blow your mind. Zelda Breath of the Wilds. We mm. purposely didn't talk about this very much last week because I was waiting for you to come back. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, there is a moment in this video and a moment in the game where Zelda... Zelda, I always... Link. There we oh, go. Mike. I got it right. Uh, Link was holding something called the 
Sheikah Slate. The Sheikah Slate, yeah. I think that is all the confirmation you need that the NX will have some kind of handheld component. I didn't think about that. You actually have a point. Because uh, Zelda is coming out on the Wii U, which is the gamepad, and the the NX, which is rumored to have some kind of portable component. Maybe this could be some kind of virtual world reinforcement of the idea of this kind of slate portable device that you have. But then again, maybe it's just a coincidence. Because uh, Onuma-san said... Uh, for the first time in the series, we want to bring technology into the Zelda world, and we thought about. <laughs> I wonder why. The, the, uh, you know, basically, um, Link has this slate that gives him information. Yeah, you can view the map that he can know. also hold up and look through, like like to scan yes. things. Yes, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that that UI, that scanning UI, will appear on the gamepad, and you hold up the gamepad to do the scanning, or and. On the NX handheld component. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're not. We don't know. I just, but this just ties so closely into Nintendo's. It makes sense. Like method of incorporating the hardware with the game, and the this game is clearly being built for the NX and will be like brained in to put onto the Wii U. I mean, that's the hope. And it would be very peculiar to me if they like put something in that clearly worked with the gamepad, but on the NX it was like, uh, here's a way that you do it with our standard controller. Here's the real life Shikaslate for you. That's what I think it will be. I think something like that, like some controller with a big screen in the middle. With the same design, really, with the runes and everything, with the gold. <laughs> they will make a version <laughs> for you, right, which has it on there. And that's that's what they sell for $400, like the uh, Fallout. I gotta buy that. I gotta buy that for sure. Of course you would. This episode of Remaster is brought to you by Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. You can start building your own website today at squarespace.com, and when you use the offer code insert coin at checkout, you will get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace puts everything that you need into your hands to build a beautiful website. You don't need to worry about hosting, scaling, finding a beautiful template. You don't have to worry about building a store. Squarespace has all of it. They have state-of-the-art technology to power your site and to ensure security and stability at all times. This is why they are trusted by millions of people all around the world. With their easy-to-use tools and templates, all are professionally, fantastically designed. Squarespace helps you capture every detail of what drives you because if it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world. They have 24-7 support with live chat and email, so in case you need them, they have teams ready to help you at any moment. They have their commerce platform, which allows you to very easily add a store to your Squarespace site, and if you want to dig into the code, you can. They have a dev platform so you can tinker around, but if you don't know what you're doing there, don't worry about it. Squarespace have got you covered. If you sign up for a year, you'll also nab yourself a free domain name as well, allowing you to give that perfect name to your new perfect site. Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month, and you can sign up for a free trial today with no credit card required and start booting your own website immediately by going to squarespace.com and then when you decide to sign up make sure that you use the offer code insert coin or one word i-n-s-e-r-t-c-o-i-n to get 10 percent of your first purchase this will also show your support for remaster and relay fm thank you so much to squarespace but let's not hold you back any further federico oh my god i feel like i need i need to i need i have so many things to say so many thoughts so the Zelda finally uh, received the proper announcement at, at E3. So really, Nintendo's E3 was all about Zelda with some other minor announcements, like more details about Pokemon Sun and Moon, a new RPG called Ever Oasis. But that was the, you know, the minor stuff. The real meat of the event was Zelda. And we got a lot of footage, a lot of demos. You can go to YouTube and pretty much spent hours watching gameplay videos, explanations from Nintendo, from Onuma-san, from other people at Nintendo. It looks fantastic. The name is Breath of the Wild. And for the first time in this series, uh, the subtitle of the game is not focused on an object or a character. It's focused on the world, of on, on the area that you explore, on the sense of exploration, of wilderness. And that that's really the core feature of the game, is exploration. So it's a really different Zelda game, especially if you've been playing Zelda games for the past 20 years, like I have. 
watching the videos of Breath of the Wild is really something else. It's it's a Zelda game. It looks like a Zelda game, but the structure and the gameplay is all new. So the, the Nintendo is borrowing a lot from two sources, I would say. The Western RPG games, such as the Elder Scrolls series, uh, open world games, and crafting games such as Minecraft, of course, or Terraria, whatever. Even No Man's Sky, maybe. I don't know. So they're they're combining this open world Western RPG approach with craft crafting and, you know, I mean, there's stats. So the, for the first time, it's not just there's a simple inventory and you can just change from sword to bombs. You can equip different kinds of swords. You can pick up branches from trees, you can craft your own weapons. And there's different statistics to keep in mind, and weapons degrade over time, and they can break, and you can throw them, and you can collect items, you can create recipes, um, you can change your clothing style depending on weather conditions. So if you enter an area that's too cold, Link is going to suffer and your health is going to go down and you need to change uh, the clothing that you have. Or if you walk into a desert-like area where it's too hot, it's the other way around. You need to wear a t-shirt, otherwise Link gets too hot and also loses health. Well, one thing that really stuck out for me with all of this stuff that you're listing, and there's loads more, is this is a very complex Zelda game. This is a very complex and different Zelda game. Basically, if you went to Rockstar and said, make Zelda, this is what they would turn out. I would say maybe if you went to, if you tr- try to imagine um, Oblivion, you know, the Elder yeah. Scrolls 4, mixed with Zelda, this is what you get. Yeah, it's like I was thinking of something like Red Dead Redemption, right? Where it was yeah. like this big open yeah. world. But yeah, if you look at something like any of the Elder Scrolls games, it feels way more like that, which makes me wonder, and I know you're very excited about this, but does this actually appeal to the regular uh, Zelda audience? Oh my god. Oh my god, yes. Why though? See, the the key feature of playing Zelda is the sense of wonder. And and I would wager that 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 sense of wonder and adventure is stronger at least you always remember it to be stronger in the first Zelda game that you play. So in my case, the first Zelda game that I really remember playing as an as a as a teenager, I played other Zelda games before, but I was too young. But Wind Waker, uh, that sense of adventure and wonder stuck with me over the years. And eventually, as you grow up and you play other Zelda games, you start to see the limitations. You start to see the bounds of the Zelda world. And with Breath of the Wild, with what we've seen so far. It's such a complete reinvention of the series that it can bring up that sense of surprise and adventure and exploration and, oh my god, this world is so big, basically that's the reaction, that you felt the first time you played Zelda. And, I mean, the area that they showed in the demo at E3 called the Great Plateau, it takes hours to explore, it's huge, and it's only 1% of the game. 1% of the game. At least that's what Nintendo is saying, uh, I, I don't know why they would lie. They showed screenshots of the map, and it was insanely huge. And every single portion of the of the of the map can be explored, can be climbed. You can jump and climb, by the way. Yeah, it's, and, it's basically have made a cross between Red Dead Redemption and Uncharted. Kinda, yeah. That's what I'm I'm looking at here, and I'm like, okay. And they like you know, like a God of War type thing in here, yeah. climbing up the bad the the bad guys. It's it's strange looking and and i wonder like it seems like it's so open world does this not affect some of the rpg-ness of it like there's less like go and complete this mission and task when you can basically just go anywhere well it's a different approach in that sense is it's really more like oblivion you're gonna know when uh you're not gonna be able to kill certain monsters which are current stats or you're not gonna be able to complete certain quests uh, unless you go do other stuff and i believe there's there's going to be some story elements of course which nintendo isn't showing yet nintendo hasn't shown uh towns or villages either uh at this point we only saw the open world exploration and and combat 
and crafting parts. We haven't seen anything of the story. Uh, I mean, besides the new enemies called Guardians, and we haven't seen towns. So I, I feel like we've only got like the first half, maybe, of the new Zelda. But I was thinking about this, and I had the same concern, maybe, or the same doubt as you, which is with the Zelda this different. Does it? Does Nintendo have the risk of alienating existing Zelda fans? And at least for me, I feel like rather than being too different, it's different in a good way. It's different in a way that makes sense for the series to grow up. Because even, I mean, I've been playing Wind Waker again on my Wii U. I've been playing Twilight Princess. I tried to revisit Skyward Sword a while back. But you really start noticing the limitations. You really start going, why can I not jump? Why can I not choose my dialogue options? Or why can I not make a better weapon for myself? So I feel like this is a sensible, reasonable way to evolve Zelda. And the scale, if Nintendo, if what Nintendo is saying is true, and I really don't have any, any, any reason to believe it's not, uh, but the sense of scale, if it's combined with a good story, and, you know, if there's towns and other people you can talk to and interact with, I feel like this is gonna be, this is gonna be a huge game for, not just for Zelda fans, but for Nintendo. Like, it's gonna be a, a, a big release. The demo looked shaky. Looks shaky on the Wii U. It's clearly not finished. Uh, I, I really think it's going to look a lot better on the NX. Uh, I feel like it's pushing the limits of the Wii U, not, not just for in terms of polygons and raw graphics, but in terms of scale and, and you know these big open areas and all the possibilities that you have. Uh, I really think it's going to be a better experience on, on, the, on the NX. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Um, I, I'm really excited about this uh, about this game because it's it's a combination of big changes and tons of small details and little things that combine together they all they all add up to the experience. Like I mean, you can kick che- uh, treasure chests to open them. Uh, there's so many little things that make the entire world more credible and. I really can't wait. <laughs> I'm more excited for this than than a usual Zelda game because it has more of the action adventure yeah. um, elements that I enjoy. Uh, I do worry about the amount of complexity that seems to exist f- through some of the clothing options and the fact that you have to like cook all of your food. It's the only way to mm. get health. Like just little things like that are like okay, that might be a bit too far. I mean, I'd have to play it to see, but. You know, it seems like there's a lot of like planning that has to go on, and and really like the element of living in the world. And there are some people, quite rightly so, who love those types of games. But I I'm not sure if they are for me so much. But I'm that. But there are, as I say, there are elements in here that I'm excited to play and see. Uh, and a lot of that comes around, you know the the way that you traverse the environment and some of the, the the ways that it looks you know it looks really spectacular in in a, in a in a different kind of way you know it's like a grown up version of how zelda should look but still retaining like a lot of the cartoony style um in the animation so i'm looking forward to it i'm looking forward to it and i'm looking forward to playing it uh, on the hardware that nintendo seems very uh focused on this march spring release date I don't know if you mm-hmm. guys had seen that they're doing a uh, a competition with Uniqlo. I saw that Miyamoto is going to sign uh, Nintendo NX, right? That's what made me thought of it, right? So they're, they're yeah. doing a competition with Uniqlo where people can submit uh, some designs to to create like a Uniqlo Nintendo line. And basically it's going to be in spring 2017 when the winners will be announced and those winners will get an nx so it's like i know that it doesn't really matter about the you know they can just say on the uniqlo thing oh you'll get it when it comes out but it's just more focus on this spring release which as we get closer and closer seems more unrealistic to me but they really could just have made a whole thing that they're hiding and they're just not ready to show it yet and they want this big, wild unveiling. But I just get more and more sceptical as time goes on. Could be. I don't know. I'd love it if it was awesome. Oh, I want it to be awesome, right? Like, I want it to be the Nintendo console that I want it to be and I want it to be a another, like, oh my God, Nintendo did it again. But, like, I'm just... 
maybe being a bit pessimistic about it, right? Because I've been, I feel like, I feel like they've kind of let me down over the last couple of years. Have have uh, faith, Mike. I'm trying. Just a little more. Just a pinch of faith. I have faith in Nintendo. I I don't know if they'll do it, but I would be so happy if they did. <laughs>